podcast ain't played nobody. Um, super jam-packed, almost a season edition. Uh, I'm just going to talk this fast for the entire show to make sure that we get everything in. I'm on the road. Parts unknown. I have to do a video interview today, which means I have to look considerably less terrible. Um, that's going to be a bit of an effort, Bill. It's, good. it's eating into our show time, the fact that I'm going to have to put on a suit, basically. Um, I cut the cord. We've talked about this. You are not going to cut the cord, correct? No. No, correct. Okay. Not yet. I mean, it, as soon as I, we get what I, as soon as I get what I need uh, from cord cu- cutting options, yeah. But there's, I, I can't yet. I, I need DVR too much. Uh, I need too many different channels too much during the season. So this is going to be a recurring theme on on podcast. Ain't play nobody throughout the season, and I'm serious. Um, I I cut the cord because I think I've said on the show before. My wife and I are renovating a house. We're in temporary housing. Made no sense to to bring like a TV provider into a temporary situation, especially when we don't really watch live TV. Um, but now it's about to be college football season. I signed up two days ago for the View streaming service, which is through Sony and PlayStation. Um, I played around with it a little bit last weekend. It doesn't have a ton of, like, it's hard, it's hard to really tell if it's good or not because there's, it's not like I'm jumping between, like, six live football games. Um, I did discover that there are, I think, approximately 350 Fox cable stations in the country. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm curious from the listenership, and you guys can just at me. Um, there, I found three college Fox College Sports Networks, Bill, that I had never heard of, that are available on PlayStation View. And it was it's Fox Sports. Well, I think one's called Fox Fox College Sports Atlantic, Fox College Sports Pacific, and then I want to say Fox College Sports Central. I've never heard of these. I assume that, like everyone else in the country, that you have a Fox affiliate based on what region that you live in for things like baseball and NBA and hockey. Like, okay, living in Columbia, Missouri, which do you get a Fox affiliate? Yeah, yeah, um, Midwest is okay. the main one. But I noticed, um, and they carry like the Cardinals and probably the Royals and stuff. More, yeah, more Cardinals than Royals, but yeah, you get a lot of the, you get a lot of those too. Which you know, thank goodness for that. Uh, no, I, but I noticed a, a few years ago when I was scrolling through on like the first Saturday of the football season, um, I started noticing that, okay, so I have all the major ones in uh, HD, and at this point, of course, I got, you know, F, FS1 and 2, but then on like the non-HD offerings, I was scrolling through those, and yeah, there are like eight more Foxes, and, and like four of them are all showing the same game at any given yes. moment. But so, you can still, you can ra- you'll randomly get like East Carolina on one, and then like Fordham or somebody on another. So I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth because the the whole reason that we're here cord cutting is that like most of us watch all of our television in a more like on demand way now, right? We watch Netflix shows or if we watch like an HBO or AMC show, we watch them on demand. Um, it's cool to have a random college football game on, and that's what these three networks like. I've never heard of them. They're not in HD. They're like they're not in standard def either. They're like a picture in picture. It's like a smaller little widescreen on, on the monitor or the TV. And I have seen Bill, in because I've been home for the last couple of days until I got back on the road, I think seven Oklahoma State games from last year. I don't know why. It's been Oklahoma State and a smattering of TCU. Um, I saw two Kansas games. I don't know why they're showing all their Big 12 inventory, but it's great. It's totally random. Um, but what the it, what's insane about this is that there have been college sports networks airing games. That, I mean, I do this for a living. You do this for a living. You especially are in front of a hub almost what every Saturday of the season, absorbing as many games as possible. It, and I don't think either one of us, if you sat us down and put a gun to our head, could like accurately from memory explain where everything airs. It's yeah. so 
unnecessarily insanely complicated. Yeah, and, and it's so been, tangled up. They've been um, they've been dialing it up over the last month, obviously, to you know get people geared up for. But it's fun because uh, like on the Foxes, on on especially the ESPNs and SEC networks, the Big Ten network, etc. Um, like on my guide, they'll just say college football, and it's like at that point, it's 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 like roulette. Like, oh, is this a good one? Oh, is this? Uh, oh, it's Louisville Auburn from last year again. <laughs> uh, but like that's. That's been kind of a fun game because I have caught some some fun ones that I did want to watch again. I saw uh, Michigan Minnesota the other day on Big Ten Network. That was an underrated, awesome game. Um, so what I have right now, and and if you're, let me ask you if you could do this. So I haven't tried it yet, but they say that PSView can DVR. Okay. Yeah, let me know about that. But um, so it works. I have a PlayStation Four, and then I have a Roku. I don't have an Apple TV. Um, I switched over, which for reasons that don't really need to get into, just because I thought it was a cooler device. Um, so I have these two ways of watching in our house, which is fine. Um, I have the following deal: I have Fox, I have like FS1, FS2, right? So that's going to cover our Pac-12 and Big 12 games. I have. All the ESPNs. I even apparently it's not even listed, but I had to call a publicist for ESPN for them to tell me that I do have LHN through the Watch ESPN app, which you can log on to Uh-oh. using this or, or like PS View and Sling. If you use your login, you can you can access that Watch ESPN app on your phone. Um, but I guess that means I couldn't DVR an LHN game. Uh, and then I also have NBC Sports, which doesn't um, amount to a ton in terms of in terms of like you know, FBS games, but I, I, feel, think, baby. I think I've got my bases covered. The ones, this is so stupid, but it would, <laughs> it directly affects this program. Yeah. I know what you're going to say. Here. The one network that refuses to play ball in any way, shape or form, you have to have a cable subscription is the CBS sports network. Now, if you want to watch Alabama, Tennessee, and it's normally airing on CBS, you can do that for free in a couple different ways. This is what I've learned. Like, you can go to cbssports.com and stream it. They have, like, two different apps. I'm still trying to figure that out. But one will just let you stream it for free because it's network television. Right. Like, if you didn't have a cable provider, you could still go get an HD antenna from, like, Best Buy for, like, $19. And you could watch the Alabama-Tennessee game on CBS. So it's not those games. It's, like, Army and... um, you know, Tulane playing. Yeah. So it's those, it's those AAC, CUSA, and Mountain West games that I guess ESPN didn't want because I think CBS Sports gets second pick in all of those. Uh, so it, this that directly affects our damn program, Bill, because you know at some point I'm going to want to talk about like Western Kentucky or or Colorado State, and it's going to be some game that I cannot access. Now, um, hint, hint, real world, I can, I can, you know. I have several people's, like, authorized logins as cable subscribers. Like, it's not – obviously, I'm going to be able to watch that game if I want to. But if you are not – if you don't have that, if you're, one of the, if you're one of the millions of Americans who don't have the luxury of just calling your parents and saying, hey, what's y'all's DirecTV login? I need this. <laughs> um, you're screwed. Now, Bill, wouldn't it make sense – and I know that there's, like, an undercurrent of a 900 legal reasons why this doesn't happen. So, so don't don't try and explain this to me over Twitter or whatever. I know why, but doesn't it? Wouldn't it make sense for those games in particular to just be as widely accessible as possible? Yeah, uh, assault you like you were sitting in a subway car and it was a big garish ad. They should be handing out Army and Tulane for free <laughs> at a bus stop. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, the reasons are are the reasons, but um, no, it's the same deal as as with the Olympics. You know, with you know Ufford's uh, rant earlier this week, just about how like when you when you go out of your way to protect copyright, you're you're preventing a ton of exposure, um, and 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 generally you're preventing a ton of of really good exposure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there is you know kind of a cutting off your nose to spite your face thing there but obviously the reasons are the reasons by the way um i submitted like so part of our preview package that'll be going up i assume sometime next week uh, i submitted kind of my rough 1 to 128 power rankings to jason i think yesterday morning uh and then so then out of curiosity I went in and compared because what I do, and I love doing this for this exact reason. What I I don't look at the rankings at all. Basically, I have you know the power rankings that I did for each conference after the previews, and I'll start with one. Like I'll lay out the whatever the first one was, Conference USA, and then I'll just basically do it like ladder match style. I'll go team by team in the Sun Belt and say like who do I think would win, and I'll put them so I'll mash those two conferences together like that. And then I'll do the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, etc. And so I don't know where I've ranked teams until the end. It's based purely on who do I like who would I trust to win this game more? Um, and so, uh, first of all, I, I, I enjoyed this. Like I compared it to my projected S and P plus rankings from a long time ago. I, by the way, I, I should have updated projections next, hopefully next week, by the end of next week, uh, based on, you know, roster attrition and, and whatnot. Season's but, here. Yep. But um, my my first test, uh, I, I passed one bias test. Uh, Missouri is projected forty seventh. Okay. With my S and P plus, I had them forty sixth. Nice. I, I enjoyed that. But um, so after I did that, I decided to test my own bias overall, and I looked at like per conference, which teams were were I was I like higher on than S and P plus? Which ones was I were I, was I was I were I uh, where was I lower? Where was I higher? Apparently, first of all, I'm very anti-ACC. Um, on average, I had them like 4.7 spots lower, which was easily the worst. Um, uh, that's basically because I can't put Clemson and Florida State any higher. Uh, but in the bottom teams, I don't really trust just a whole lot. I, like Boston College, Syracuse, I had them down, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you'll never guess which uh, conference I had on average uh, higher per team uh, by three and a half spots on average. Um, Big 12. The American Athletic Conference. Hell yeah! <laughs> now, now that's kind of misleading because most of that is because I have Houston in the top 25, or top 20, and, and my numbers uh, very much do not. So they accounted for a big port, part of that bump. Uh, but I thought, you know, that's that's branding right there. That's, um, that's I, I can do it without even really meaning to. Uh, that's how uh, pro-AAC I am at this point. I have Memphis higher, I have Tulane higher. Do you think that to, to so to go back to the ACC thing and the AAC thing? So there are a lot of known quantities this year in the AAC. Mid major or no? Like uh, Houston is consistent. South Florida, we feel like is going to be consistent. Cincinnati is going to be consistent to a point. Like yeah, as consistent as a Tuberville team can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you look at to jump into the Power Five, you said you had the ACC further down than you expected is that because some of the value in the acc is is in like teams or programs we consider to be tbd right now so what i mean by that is like everyone in the industry can you know thinks tech virginia tech is going to be good but they're not good yet and when right. i mean i mean good i mean like nine nine ten wins division title good right 
there seems to be a like we everyone is really confident that Mark Richt is the, is the answer that Miami has looked for since they joined the league, but they're not. We don't know that they're good yet. Is right. that why? Is it because like you're looking at their uh, their immediate August of 2016 selves versus what maybe numbers would be more objective about? Well, I think there, there are two things. Um, well, first of all, like I said, I mean, I'm really high on Clemson and Florida State, but it's, uh, you know, and I'm actually higher than them. Like I had Clemson second instead of third. I had Florida State higher than the S and P projection, but that only count that barely counts because they were already so high. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that I mean, my numbers really like the ACC. Like I feel like I'm really high on Pitt, but I only have them one spot higher than S and P does. Uh, because SP already had them in the top 30. I feel like I, I like Miami and Virginia Tech. I feel like saying they're probably top 35 teams this year sounds about right, uh, but that's not higher than what SP has. So they don't get any bonus for that. And then, like I said, I mean, that, I, do, I have Georgia Tech higher, but I have NC State lower, I have Syracuse lower, I have Duke lower, I have BC quite a bit lower. Um, and that just adds up. So I couldn't, the, the, the teams I'm high on, I couldn't, I didn't actually raise any compared to the numbers. Uh, the teams I'm not as high on, I, I dumped pretty far. So It's kind of like what we've talked about for most of the offseason, in which it's, it's strange to say this for a fan base that includes areas of the country like Charlotte and the floor, and various suburbs in Florida. But the ACC needs like a McMansion neighborhood. They need an upper middle class, and they need some like overpriced cul-de-sac, like five-bedroom homes. So they need not mansions, because I don't know if any program – maybe other than Miami or Virginia Tech can can do what Clemson or Florida State are doing. So you have your elites, and that's fine. Then you need that second class of three to four teams to challenge the elites, which they just haven't built. So we all think they will. We're, we've done nothing but praise of the hires. It just hasn't happened yet. And so until then, it's two amazing programs and sort of the chaff. Yeah, Chess, I mean, a lot of potential top 30 teams there, but, I mean, when you've got two top five teams, um, yeah, they're still going to be chaff. Uh, by the way, okay, so I was also a little bit lower on the Big 12. Uh, part of that had to do uh, with uh, Baylor, but that, that that was offset by me being really high on TCU. Just on average, I was a little bit lower on each team there. Um, I was a little bit lower, a little bit lower on the SEC uh, part of that, too, is that SNP loves the SEC. So, you know, the fact that I think Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss are going to be really good doesn't really count for anything. Uh, but then I, I'm also really, really low on South Carolina this year. That was that – I was surprisingly low on South Carolina. Um, um, I tell you what, I wouldn't be that surprisingly low on South Carolina. Well, um, I was I, – like, I, I didn't have any expectations, with it, but then as I was writing the preview, I was like, oh, man, oh, man, like – just I, I had nothing good to say about the personnel there hardly. And, and, uh, it's um, it's 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 the epitome of transition this year. Yeah. They're gonna lay. They're not gonna lay down, but they're gonna hunker down. I, I guess I should say, um, that just to be diplomatic. I, hell, I don't care. They can lay down. I mean, it's it's gonna be one of those years, and that's fine. That's fine. It's going to be a year of Will Muschamp memes because regardless of the fact that South Carolina is a much less prestigious and exposed job than Florida, you're still going to show up on national television every week getting trounced by a bunch of nationally recognized brands. And that's going to happen this year. So he's going to be, he's going to be made fun of that much more. They just have to get past this year. Really interested to see what he does in a full recruiting cycle and how he defines South Carolina against yeah. Clemson and against everyone else right below them. Um, if South Carolina gave 
two dams about uh, SB Nation, I would go and write a story about their recruiting, uh, but they don't. Uh, they're just going to be bad. They, they probably are. Having seen Vanderbilt's defense now, I think that they're probably the worst team in, in, the, in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 having seen Vanderbilt's defense, I would, I would put them ahead of Kentucky and who knows, maybe someone else if, if the wheels fall apart somewhere else. You can, like you can say Missouri. You can say Missouri. Well, um, I like, but I like Missouri's defense too, and I think in the East, defense is going to snatch away a few games. Yeah, so, basically, not to give away my power rankings here for the SEC, you know, spoilers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the way my thinking was there with the bottom four teams in the East. Um, Missouri and Vanderbilt have have proven units. They have a strength. Kentucky, you know, in theory, that the offense could become a strength if a bunch of guys with potential suddenly blossom all at once. Uh, but the defense was terrible last year, and the offense wasn't very good. And so they don't have a proven strength. South Carolina definitely doesn't have a proven strength. So I do kind of trust Missouri and Vanderbilt a little bit more. Um, and I actually, I mean, you mentioned Starkville. I they're deep everywhere of a quarterback, and they've got like four candidates at quarterback. I, I think just from an options perspective, I think they're going to be pretty decent. Well, let me put a pin in that real fast. We'll get out of the ass end and then back up to the good part of the SEC. We've accidentally transitioned into one of our topics today. Yeah. Just, you have the old Miss preview coming up, what, today as we record this on Thursday. So um, we're just creeping ever closer to the finish line for you, and I know you're so excited. Um, yeah. The last thing I want to say is I saw – so I've seen some of Vanderbilt um, – I'm back on. Um, I got my Stockholm syndrome back for, for from West End Avenue in Davidson County. Um, they will. Here's a here's a bold declaration for you, Bill. Mark this down. Um, I think they're going to win a game they're not supposed to strictly because of their defense in 2016. However, here's the asterisk next to that. It could be something like a and, and very well could be the Western Kentucky game at Bowling Green, which will give them no equity in our right. community in the southeast because everyone will sit there and laugh at that. The problem is only smart only eighties kids, only smart kids will recognize that that would be a tremendous win because Western Kentucky is really good on offense. Possibly one of the best in the nation. They are a house of fire and they are fantastic to watch. So if Vanderbilt go, they lost that game last year, I think 16, 14, 17, 14, 14, 14 12. Thank you. Um, it was ugly. It was on a Thursday night. It was buried underneath other bad games like South Carolina, North Carolina in week one. Yeah, it was week one Thursday night last year because I remember watching it in a hotel room before I flew to West Virginia. That game didn't mean anything at the time. And you, th- I remember looking at that game and thinking, well, Commodores are going 0 12 and Mason's done. If they can, I, I, my thought was, yeah, Western Kentucky might not be nearly as good as I thought if they're struggling with Vanderbilt. Exa- yeah, yeah, and my, and my thought was locally, have, knowing knowing the handful of people that would consider themselves power brokers in, in Nashville for Vanderbilt, I would think like they they I don't care what the quality of this program is, they will not abide this. Um, I don't see how they're going to win another game. So uh, I, I think the I, I don't know if a bowl is right for Vanderbilt, but just because of the it's the league schedule in Western Kentucky and all that, but. Um, I, I will come across, get by a big, bold prediction for 2016 on Vanderbilt. Um, and as we flip over to the West, I want to play a game. Okay. Um, and it's numeric in a sense. It's analytical in a sense. And some of it is pol- political in a sense. A friend of mine who's a, who works in radio, who's not a moron, uh, I was on the phone yesterday as I was driving um, to, to work on this current assignment, and... I pose the question, and I'll pose it to you. Could you give me a scenario in which 
we finished the season with no coach in the SEC West fired. And so, in other words, it didn't happen last year. Can, you, can we retain the floor of a $4 million losing coach, a last-place coach making $4 million a year for another season? Um, if it's Mississippi State, then I think maybe. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine. It. Like, scenarios exist where both Auburn and A&M keep their coaches – uh, but you figure they both have to go at least like five and three in conference to do so. That's why I said Mississippi State earlier because I I've read what I read what you wrote and and also I think at this point it's 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 becoming common sense among the less tinfoil hatted Mississippi State fans on the internet, but just people in general who are smart enough to notice the consistency that Mullins built, they aren't likely to finish in last place this year. I don't care. Well, oh, it's so crowded. Da, da, da. People, people often pick Mississippi State last in the West because they're looking at 80 years of culture right. and not what this guy has done in the last five to six to seven or however long he's been there now. Right. I mean, somebody's going to have to finish last. Yes. In theory, everybody in that division could play at a top 30 level. So you're if looking you, at a But if you're coming player. back in time and telling me that, hey, you know what? The bottom fell out in Oxford. And there was an injury to Chad Kelly. The NCAA stuff just kind of overwhelmed the program in terms of keeping everybody's focus. And they finished five and seven. That's believable to me. Now, Mississippi State finishing five and seven is also believable to me. If you came back in time and told me that, hey, everything just just implodes at A&M or Auburn, that's more believable to me than than everything imploding at Mississippi State. Yeah. The, the ceiling is lower, but the floor is higher. I think at this point, I'm, I'm just, I would be amazed. I, I want to see this situation in which, especially with that schedule, I want to see this, this situation in which Mississippi State does go 4 and 8. But I, I don't say like I want, let me rephrase that because yeah. God knows there's going to be 300 people on a message board called Six Pack Speak jumping my ass. But I mean, I don't believe that that's possible now with the consistency that Mullen has developed, even with the fact that he lost a quarterback, is what I'm trying to say. Now, for for the situation for the for the center to hold and for no firings to happen, you would have to have an Ole Miss and Mississippi State at the bottom of the rankings or the bottom of the standings, yeah. because you can't fire Mullen for anything other than like a you know sex with an intern on a motorcycle situation. If they if they if they did go one and eleven this year, you still couldn't fire him, right? And then you after that, you would think you can't fire Freeze right now unless it has something to do with the NCAA. If it's purely on field and they finish 4-8, and eight, you can't fire Freeze, okay? So then we creep up, and that would allow A&M and Auburn theoretically to finish with winning records, which I think might, hold, which might help them survive unless Auburn is like 7-5 and five and loses the Iron Bowl by 40 points. Yeah. And then I'm trying to figure out, would LSU and Alabama have to take a step back and then maybe Arkansas wins the West? Like, how many games could Arkansas well, lose before people compl- start going south on Bielema? Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, L- LSU is the other key here if we're talking about not firing. I mean, Miles could get fired for going 8-9-3. and three. So there's that that is kind of independent of the um, – of, of any sort of like who finishes last talk. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, Arkansas is kind of interesting. They're not going to finish like four and eight or whatever. And, and so it, I just, that the odds of that are not good at all, but yeah, it, they are another team that um, could at least be within a year, like Mullen and Bielema, I would say are, are, you know, they're a year away from being in the hot seat if this doesn't go well. Um but yeah, you figure you unless you know, barring crazy circumstances like Ole Miss, you know, getting a 
you know, five-year postseason ban or something, uh, you would assume that the only guys who could be fired then are um, Sumlin, Malzahn, and Miles. You would assume that, yes. So, and, and I know this this kind of, I don't want our listeners to think we're, we're denigrating here into just like, who going to get fired talk. This is, it's an exercise in which you have to measure expectation, talent, and then also all the politics and make sure that all seven of, it's like, it's like juggling seven chainsaws dipped with venom on fire. Um, and I don't know if it's possible because I don't know if everything can align just the right way where I feel like between Auburn A&M and LSU, when I do the talk radio, that's the thing that everybody goes back to. Yeah. And I don't see a situation in like those three schools aren't going to finish one, two, three, unless LSU is on top maybe. And there are a couple other miracles. So um, it's just an interesting thought. Uh, you have Ole Miss coming up today. I perpetually am the world's worst Ole Miss prognosticator. Um, people who don't like me would tell you that I'm secretly a homer um, and that I can't take my blinders off. The point is, I think, is that I've just – I think it's possible to almost permanently lose perspective on a program because, yes, it is my alma mater. I went to school there, and I was a normal fan when I went to college there, but it was also the first school I really covered out of college – it's the recruiting base I know the best. It's the people, the boosters, and the administration that I know the best for obvious reasons. And just having the familiarity with every single bad and good and mediocre and interesting thing in a program, it gets very hard for me. Like I saw you were tweeting the other day about like, oh, Isaac Gross is coming back. That's great. And I'm thinking, yeah, is it? I don't know. Like I, I remember that when he was, you know, grossly under recruited coming out of Batesville, Mississippi. And so I have no ability. I have to turn it into one of those RPI tests that ESPN does around March Madness where it's like a blind resume thing. Um, so whatever you tell me about Ole Miss, is, I, I'll just go, oh, okay, yeah. Otherwise, I'll pick him to go five and seven. <laughs> well, I mean, so you know, they are to you what kind of Oklahoma is to me. Like, I grew up around them. I still have a lot of friends there. Every time I go visit home, I end up talking about OU for an hour with them because that's what they talk about. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have strong, relatively well-informed opinions about OU, but I still don't root for them. Um, but that's just, I mean, yeah, that's how familiarity works, I guess. No, so, okay, so this will make you feel a little better when it comes to not knowing what to expect or predict. Uh, the header, unless Jason changes it, and I don't think he will, the header, uh, the uh, part, you know, the, the, the 10 tidbits in this preview, number one is called uh, the most interesting team in college football. Uh, because uh, because Ole Miss, good or bad, is never ever 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 boring, even in the slightest. And and one of the things I did, I, this is one of my favorite intros that I write in this wrote in this series because it was fun to flash back. Okay, so their last seven coaches: Billy Brewer, uh, relatively successful, and then got them crushed by the NCAA. Uh, Jolie Dunn, who replaced Brewer for a year. Uh, and ended up like he was just an SEC coordinator. He was like a coordinator of every single SEC school. And he's no, yeah, he's, he's he's no more as a Mississippi State guy, right. and a, he's really actually no more as a Memphis guy than anything right. else. Right, and he was father of the three three five. He went right. He went with he went from uh, Ole Miss to like two years later. He was at Mississippi State, which is kind of funny. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, they'll have to carry me out in a pine box, and then leaves for Auburn two days later. Um, David Cutcliffe. Five winning seasons in a row, never had a losing season, had one bad season after Eli left and got fired. That's still that still chaps me, by the way. Like I still kind of feel like there's a little bit of anger left about that in, inside. Um, that was just that was crazy, and then it was made even crazier by the fact that their next two hires were Ed Orgeron and Houston Nutt. Um, 
Like that was like, it, it was almost like Cutcliffe was just too stable. Like we, we don't think you can lead this program. You're, you're too steady a hand. Um, Aspiration is a terrible drug, my friend. And so, um, so yeah, Cutcliffe, Order and Nut, and then Hugh Freeze, who most of his, at that point, most of his, uh, a third of his college experience, two thirds of his head coaching experience was at Lambeth College, which now doesn't have a football team. So, um, like that's yeah, that's all sounds pretty normal to me. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's nuts. Uh, and they'll, you know, in in the past, they would, you know, go eight and three, and then three and eight. They'd go nine and four, and then five and six, etc. Um, but what Freeze has done, uh, you know, NCAA stuff aside, obviously, um, they've won seven, eight, nine, and ten games. Like that's you're not supposed to improve in like really clear linear ways. Uh, but seven, eight, nine, ten is pretty good uh, and pretty linear, and and so. It almost felt like all this stuff that's been happening, Tunsil on live television accidentally admitting that he got paid. Um, it's like all that stuff was just like the university, the universe correcting itself. Like things were a little too linear and stable at Ole Miss, so we gotta we gotta go crazy now. Um, but I mean, look, their team is uh, has one giant question mark: offensive line, and and even offensive line, they were able to move the ball like crazy against Alabama without Tunsil. Like they, they had, they started 10 different guys, which I think is, I, I can't I'm blanking on who it was all of a sudden. One team started 11, like Minnesota or somebody started 11 guys. Anything more than about seven means your line was massively unstable. Uh, and they still had, uh, I believe the number 10 offense, according to, to S&P last year, uh, with absolutely no stability up front. So now they lost like their five most experienced starters. They have five other guys coming back who started games. Uh, they've got... Uh, Greg Little, the blue chipper, who apparently was a little bit out of shape when he showed up uh, for camp. But I, like basically, I think by midseason, the line will be okay. The offense will be great, unless, of course, Kelly gets hurt. I mean, there are, that goes for a lot of teams. If your quarterback gets hurt, then, then you know bets are off. Um, and their defense, because of all the injuries last year, the guys who were expected to get experience this year got experience last year, and now guys like Gross come back. Uh, Tony Connor comes back. Um yeah, they might not be ready to take on Florida State and Alabama in the first three weeks of the season. Um, and, you know, they could, like, that's not it. I mean, after Alabama, they played Georgia, and then they go to Arkansas and LSU in mid-October. Like, this is a rough uh, first half of the year. It's a brutal schedule. It's, it's incredibly stupid, um, but it is also understandable because this is a program that is playing Florida State – and Alabama and Georgia in the same month, and everyone goes, dear God, why are you doing that? Uh, well, one, uh, the SEC makes the schedule, and their their programs like Ole Miss are never going to be done any favors by the Southeastern Conference in scheduling. Um, and then you say, well, God, why would you schedule Florida State? It's because how many times have we said it on the show, Bill, programs that are aspirational and want to move up, you have to schedule well because of the playoff era and all that. If you're looking for perspective, here's the perspective I can give you. In 2011, five years ago, Bill, Ole Miss played BYU to open the season, and, and they lost. No big, whatever, right? Okay, they, they played a crappy Bronco men and all team. They lost because they were crappy. Do you know who they were supposed to play that day? They were supposed to play Boise State in the Chick-fil-A kickoff. But because Ole Miss was going to be not great, basically because they were coming off of a bad 2010 season and because everyone involved with the Chick-fil-A kickoff was like, ah, you know, this isn't, this isn't Georgia, this isn't Florida, this isn't 
Alabama or Auburn, they basically politely asked Ole Miss out and delayed that game against Boise until a couple years later when Hugh Freeze was there. Actually, it was 2014. They pushed it back three years. This is my point. They were asked out of a high-contract game because they were so at mediocre at best. And, of course, in 11, that the whole, you know, the wheels fell off and they were just absolutely miserable for a couple of years uh, because Houston did virtually nothing in terms of program management. And now five years later, they're in probably the best game of the opening weekend. I mean, short of Alabama, if USC can hold it up against Alabama, that'd probably be the argument against. But uh, this has been an astronomic rise. It's, they have no footing for this, which is why, as someone who's seen the worst of the program and the structural problems and the way that the small-town politics works around a major program that isn't used to winning, you would think that this is a house of cards this year. But when you recruit at a top-10 level, uh, that gives you a lot of margin for error, and of course, you blah, 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 whatever it took for them to get that top uh, that well, I guess they're not top ten on average, but they they had uh, you know they're an even better class this year than they did in 2013. It's yeah. I think what's impressed me most, like last year even, we were like okay, last hurrah, and then they rebuild. Um, part of this part because in part of injuries um, that hurt last year's quote unquote last hurrah, they actually now kind of have a bridge. They I mean they've got Kelly and then they've got Patterson, you know, who who can take over for Kelly after that as long as he doesn't have to do it. You know, too soon. So there's an incredibly um, bizarre stat um, because of Chad Kelly's success now, Bill. If you go back after Eli Manning, um, there was a, the year after Eli Manning when they completely fell apart, they rotated three different quarterbacks. A guy named Ethan Flatt, a guy named Robert Lane, who was actually recruited to play baseball at LSU, and a guy named Michael Spurlock, who I think is still in the league as a kick returner. But he played quarterback for Ole Miss in David Cutcliffe's offense. Didn't right. go well. Um, after that, it was almost a decade-plus where not a single snap was taken. I think there's one exception buried in there, and it was some guy who, who transferred. I think it was a guy named Nathan Stanley who transferred out of the program. But for basically a decade, every single snap taken by a quarterback was taken by a transfer. Huh. That's how inconsistent they were, and that's how strange it's been in recruiting. So the fact that Chad Kelly has been a success is just as strange as the fact of like Jeremiah Masoli comes in and plays his ass off, but it was like a 4-18. and 18. Right. They've been so – I think maybe that's why they're so interesting. It's it's funny that you would call them that because it's just – I guess if you're a fan or if you're close, and it, it, it looks more like inconsistency, but that's also interesting. It's kind of like how we always look at Les Miles and think, God, he's great, he's wonderful, he's a, he's a jewel. But LSU fans are like, God, it's kind of a pain in the ass when this guy's your head coach. <laughs> no, I mean, that was what we were saying last year, especially about Miles. Like, yeah, I understand why they're tired of him, but come on, you can't fire him. Um, um, speaking of LSU, do you have your LSU preview is when? Yesterday. Yesterday. Okay. Um, what is an LSU? What like just is there is there a like Tiffany program that you feel that or like I don't know I'm projecting on you. I, let me say this. I'll say it as a declarative. There is not a Tiffany program that I feel more uncertain about in college football than LSU. Well, I mean, how could you feel? You can't feel like they are absurdly trustworthy or anything. It's impossible to. I think they're absurdly untrustworthy as an elite, as a true elite, as a competitor to Alabama. Well, they haven't. I mean, 
you know, they, they peaked in 07, kind of bottomed out, so to speak, in 08, and then rose back up, peaked in 2011, uh, fell off again. Not not dramatically, but, you know, it would be a case where the offense improved and then the defense suddenly had problems and the defense figured things out and the offense started to struggle. Um, and so, like, the, all the pieces haven't been kind of aligned. Um, you know, I thought last year they might have a chance if they if, if the quarterback play held up uh, and if, if Steele turned out to only be a mediocre defensive coordinator higher instead of just an outright bad one. Um, but... By the way, by the way, a bad one who got another SEC job in the same division. Well, and they, I, I mean, bad, I guess, is relative. They, they were still top 30 uh, defense. No, but dude, they, look, they man, really, that, that thing is Kevin Steele is a human being. I cannot explain why this guy keeps getting these jobs. And yeah, other so coaches, other coaches are also saying, "Why? How is this happening?" Yeah, no, like, I mean that's like take a take a flyer on a young, aggressive blitz, like blitz oriented, like high level recruiter. Like, go find right. the next Jeff Collins. Don't yeah. keep hiring Kevin Steele. Well, and that was the like. I mean, if the guy you're stealing them from, like, I mean, he they stole uh, Auburn stole steal from LSU more or less if the school you're stealing him from kind of goes oh um okay oh no then, don't don't take yeah, him right then maybe that's a sign that like you should step back and go whoa whoa, whoa what what are we doing right here because uh, yeah I mean th- he basically still uh Auburn saved miles from himself to some degree he went out uh losing steel and got one of the best defensive coordinators in the country and you know you never know how chemistry is going to work or anything like that like it maybe it doesn't work out but I mean Aranda um, has worked for a lot of different styles of coach and uh, at Utah State and Wisconsin he has produced awesome defenses these last what four years or so so I mean I love the Aranda hire I just don't know if the if it's another instance of a great coordinator coming to LSU who gets absorbed into the mean rather than provide something dynamic that they build around which is a super guarded and jumbly way of saying like, is Les going to let him coach? Like, is he is it going to be Dave Aranda's defense? Is it going to mirror? Is he going to have to come in and adjust to them? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's going to be that much adjustment to do on defense. Um, I mean, they've always been a physical. You know, I, I, I'm blanking on the adjectives that Les Miles would use to describe this, but um, something weird. Yeah. But so I mean, it's I don't I don't think it's as like if if he hired, um, you know I don't know Shannon Dawson or somebody just like a, a random like spread guy, uh, that would be awkward. That would that that could get weird. But I don't see why there would be any transit major transition issues. There, there always could be, but I, I don't see it. I mean, so basically the bottom line then is you know this year it's kind of the same thing: quarterback play and run defense. They had they were mostly good on run defense, but their glitches were significant. Um, and then quarterback play, I actually felt better. Like it came out later, and I, I didn't. I, I, I vaguely recalled this, and I, I felt bad because I didn't mention it in the preview. But it came out later that Brandon Harris suffered a sports hernia against Alabama, and then just kept playing. Um, and so, hmm. if you, you when you look at the, uh, the his his own personal collapse, I mean, heading into the Alabama game, he was awesome. Like I. I, I this is one of the pieces of ammo to like that I always use against the, the, you know, less miles can't develop quarterbacks guy. I mean, never mind that Brandon Harris was a true sophomore first year starter um, and held up better than uh, most of the SEC's first year starters. Um, I mean, against South Carolina, he was, 
18 for 28 for 228 and two touchdowns. Uh, Florida, Florida, uh, good, good. Florida still played defense last year. 13 for 19 for 202 and two touchdowns. Western Kentucky, 11 for 20 for 286 and three touchdowns. Like his his passer rating heading into the Alabama game over the la- those last three games was like 190. Um, he was really high level, still could run the ball like four, five, six times a game. Uh, but he was six for 19 against Alabama. He was decent against Arkansas. Uh, very like, you know, 50% completion rate and two picks against Ole Miss. He was seven for 21 against A&M, although A&M had the number two pass defense in the country. Um, so he had a miserable, awful month. Uh, otherwise, um, his passer rating was around 150. He was, he, you know, he had he was 13 for 22 for 254 against Texas Tech, and I mean, Texas Tech defense was wretched, but it still at least kind of reminded you that he can play quarterback. Um, if if it turns out that this sports hernia thing was a major cause of his slump, but I mean, when you look at the four weeks that uh, surrounded that, that was his entire bad season. Um, he could be pretty good, and he only has two receivers. If if um, if if Dupre or, or Durrell get hurt, and we and Durrell already did get hurt last year, like things go suddenly. Oh, I'm not even worried. Hey, look, I'll stop you right there. LSU fans are already in love with you. They don't care the fact the receiving core not being deep. Whatever. If they have good quarterback play, they are a national title contender. Well, right, because I mean, at that because you have like all you got to do at that point is counter what defenses are going to try to stop, and that's right, Fournette. Like, yeah, so if he, he can tuck and run a few times a game and, and pick off some random 30-yard run and then run play action to a wide open, even a freshman, um, you're good. Yeah, they're not looking for dynamic. They're looking for functional. Yeah. And, and functional offense is, yeah, functional offense and you're starting talking about playoff. I'm fine with that. It's just yet to be seen. Yeah. Well, no, no, we're functional, we're functional no. Functional no. You're right. Functional no. Consistently yeah. functional. Right. It, uh, and, and also the bad month he has is is pretty terribly timed as well. So, um, man, that November perception thing just weighs so much heavier on coaches, on players. Yeah. It's something that we always go back to. I mean, you can you can really hide a badass game even in October that somebody has it re- oh, relative Miss. to those. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a very good point. Ole Miss, uh, you know, finished the season by beating what LSU and Mississippi State and. Uh, by double digits and then crushing Oklahoma State. And, 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 yeah, their perception was a little different. Yeah. And the fact that they were hapless against – and you can say whatever you want about Will Greer. They were hapless on offense against Florida. Terrible on offense mm. against Florida. Yeah. Um, any other SEC things that you want to hit upon before we pivot out of there? Yeah, this feels way too mainstreamy. Um, I know. It really does. <laughs> I don't have anything major in terms of uh, – do we have any major mid-major news there, boss? We had been talking internally a little bit about what um, a realignment shift would look like if, um, if there is going to be a change in the Big 12, um, schools moving up, schools, schools jockeying to, to maybe replace the schools in the AAC. Um, I, n- nothing has really jumped out. There was a really nasty argument on Twitter between um, a, fr- a guy I used to work with a long time ago, a friend of mine named Patrick McGee, who covers Southern Miss, and I, I don't know who he was actually arguing. It was, it was like started out as Southern Miss fans, then it like moved into other fan bases. Um, basically, if I had to draw it out, and you're a fan of a non-Power Five, and you're 
you're worried about could we go to the AAC or could we move up or like everyone making jokes by the way about Arkansas State applying for the Big 12 why not what is it how much money does it cost to put together a freaking PowerPoint all you have to do is send a couple emails and then you get to tell every booster in your town hey this is how ambitious our athletic program is we apply to join the Big 12 that's nothing but good PR I would do it any any FBS mid-major I would apply to Right now, to join, I cannot think of. Can you think of an exception? I can't. Texas State, they got no shot. Do it anyway. Yeah. Appalachian State, no shot. Do it anyway. Buffalo, do it. You're sending a message to boosters. That's all. Exactly. I guarantee. I guarantee you that you could you could parlay that crap into a little bit of money in the fundraising circuit. So don't make fun of Arkansas State. I like ambition. I think the truest thing that's ever been said on this podcast is your observation about how much this sport hates usurpers. Yeah. Just let people strive. It's so bizarre. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I hadn't really thought about this all the way until yesterday, but if, if the Big 12 eventually decides not to choose anybody and not to expand, Bob Bowlesby and David Bourne are not allowed to speak in public ever again. Yes, uh, unfortunately that won't happen. Well, I guess fortunately for me, because it always makes my July very interesting, um, Oh, oh, I forgot. We, we, I left this other Miss thing behind. You gotta, you gotta buy the tickets, y'all. You gotta buy the tickets, and you gotta give to the whatever stupid foundation there is. Okay, yeah. that's how this works. The first thing before Houston went into their, I, I saw a, I think like half of the presentation that Houston's gonna give, unless they've changed it. Um, while I was at Houston, and one of the things that they 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 mentioned straight away is the growth in ticket sales and the accompanying, I think, like, if you buy a season ticket package, I don't know if you have to do this at Missouri, if you buy a season ticket package, you also make a donation to, like, the X Foundation, you know, the, like, the Tiger Foundation or whatever, um, and that's, like, a placeholder for you to, it's basically like a PSL in the NFL, like a, like a, a, a fee that you pay to be able to hang on to your seats and or, like, move up and get better seats. Do you, do you, is, I'm sure Missouri has some sort of function oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, I got screwed yeah. by uh, by that this year. I, I lost uh, my spot in a parking uh, – the parking lot of my choice because of all that. But, yeah, I hear but, people – that is a, a big-time complaint in the in the Nashville, Birmingham, Atlanta area, the various SEC fans comparing notes on how frustrated they are. Those, those who still try and hold season tickets – I'm entering into a phase where I don't really have any friends, so my wife's friends are my friends, and they're all about three, they're anywhere from three to five years younger than me. So right. like they just started having kids, and they're trying to maintain, like, maybe that's a, maybe that's the saddest podcast they play nobody for, for next off season is, like, at what point you're just like, you know what, even though we're two hours away, we're not, like, there's no feasible way to, to have season tickets. But, yes, it is a way that totally screws you out of more money, but it's also going back to like southern miss it's a really good marker if you're making an audition to move up it's something that people like to see some consistency so oh and uh, i'm actually like i can throw this out there if i had to bet on a program to come in and replace houston and or cincinnati i think i would go with north texas i think that would be my bet because um of, of even though they suck conference usa's because of conference usa's um just Poor, I'm not going to say poor moves because money-wise they might end up working out okay, market-wise, et cetera. But they went for market instead of actual recent success. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I love that, you know, 
that the American, I mean, they kind of did that, but they, 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 they added programs for the most part to lane aside, I guess that had been recently pretty good at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And so North Texas would be a market move and not a, Hey, they'll, they'll, we lost Houston, but this will make sure we're still pretty decent at football move. Um, yeah. So Cause I, the quality. Kind of, move. Right. I get it. I, I know why they would do it and, and that, that's fine, but I do kind of. Well, no, yeah. Cause the quality move is to go a little, a little East on I 20 and go to Louisiana tech or Western Kentucky. That's right. the quality move. Yeah, and I, I still think Western Kentucky might be in pretty decent shape. But, yeah, I mean, if you want quality, you're looking at Louisiana Tech or Appalachian State or whatever. Um, but if, you, if you're if you looking at market, then you're going for, like, Florida Atlantic or International or North Texas or, you know, Charlotte or whatever. And, and the other part of this is, though, American already has Dallas. They already have SMU. So, I, you know, maybe maybe that makes the urge for a North Texas slightly lower. But well, I think what they're trying to do is swap game. out. They're trying to swap out with what they Houston. lose in, in losing Houston, and so I guess maybe you go to Rice. I don't yeah, know. Sure. Yeah. Rice definitely does not hold. I mean, baseball. Rice is the Rice is the Vanderbilt of Houston, and I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to make that sound depressing. Um, uh, okay, I don't want to give away anything to do with your SEC standings. That's the last gas. So next week's show will be the end of the the long winding road of of previews. How do you feel about this year? You feel how? I mean, I know you never feel great because you're a smart person and you never really want to make declar- declarative statements. That's why radio sucks. But how do you feel on the whole this year? Do you ever look at it in its totality and think like, man, this is the year that I really am going to be exposed? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't think of it like that, but I think one of the vibes... That's how I think about year. my entire career, Bill, so I'm projecting again. <laughs> um, one of the vibes I, got, I noticed about last year was that, um, like, from a projection standpoint, from my own, like, quote-unquote power ranking standpoint, uh, all, most of the top teams were breaking in new quarterbacks. Um, okay. And that was a little scary. And I guess maybe we kind of have the same thing, come to think of it. I mean, uh, Alabama, Florida State... Um, Michigan, I guess, uh, Stanford, Mi- Michigan State. Okay, so maybe it's happening again. But I, I feel like maybe it's because of the running back position. Um, I feel more confident in offense this year than I did last year, just in terms okay. of the top teams and, and whatnot. There there are fewer questions to answer. Um, you know, Florida State has Dalvin Cook, LSU has Fournette, and a, and a now-experienced quarterback, uh, you know, McCaffrey, et cetera. So, I mean, I think – Maybe offenses at the top are a little bit more stable than they were uh, heading into Oklahoma, last year. I mean, yeah, you got some. Consi- you got Oklahoma. You got um, Clemson, obviously. Clint- oh yeah, Watson, obviously, right? You got not a lot of people off the top of my head. JT Barrett. Um, yeah, that counts. I'll give. Yeah, yeah I'll throw Ohio State in there, especially with Notre Dame. Hey, familiarity with playbook, absolutely right, and that counts for right. a lot. And Notre Dame has two, which uh, is making me nervous. Uh, that was oh, you know, uh, was, Lamar, Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Notre no, Dame, I mean not uh, at the very top, obviously, but right. Well, I have them in the top twenty, though. Um, yeah, Notre Dame made me. I think it was funny watching everybody's reaction on Twitter and and in our Slack room yesterday. Like the the two questions Notre Dame has is, can you manage having two good quarterbacks? Because not everybody can. Uh, and then can Van Gorder not go too crazy with exotic stuff on defense. Keep it simple enough that they can actually learn it. Those are the two questions I have. Um, 
when when Brian Kelly came out yesterday and said, yeah, Zaire and, and um, uh, Kaiser, they're both going to play the end. Um, everybody's reaction was, ah, like that's, that's the, you know, I don't know what the solution there is, but it's really hard to just to, to manage a situation where you've got two really good quarterbacks and you're just kind of like loosely going back and forth based on like hot hand or whatever. I think two quarterback situations work a lot better when they're, when they've got different skill sets and can be used almost like situationally. Um, but Kaiser and, and Zaire are both just good and it's, it could get awkward uh, bouncing back and forth between them, but we'll see. Maybe not. That game is going to be really fun for a lot of the wrong reasons now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of morbid curiosity that could come about in that game. Uh, Texas, all of a sudden, if you, it depends on what flavor of news that you believe around that program, but Texas is this is not automatically going to be the freshman Bouchelle's team. Possibly Swoops is making a comeback, depending again, like depending on which website. Speaking of things that of news that came out that made everybody wince a little bit, yeah, yeah, and so now you so you have dueling quarterback, not controversies, uncertainties. How's that? Uncertainties. I think Texas defense has improved, and Brian Van Gorder has the better defense, but he's also Brian Van Gorder, and as a lifelong Atlanta Falcons fan, I can say like. He can simplify things to a point where he gets his ass beat. So, you know, you never – this game has gone from, like, really stuffy kind of, eh, Sunday night, all right, we're going to watch it, to like, oh, wow, like, you know, that car's driving around the driving down the road missing an axle. Like, it could just completely blow up as soon as it goes uphill, um, which could very well happen to either one of these offenses. Yeah. I think I just accidentally endorsed the Notre Dame game as being the most watchable in week one. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, watchable can mean a lot of things. Exactly. See, that's a blanket. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> you ready, Bill? I'm ready. Okay. Here's the deal. Um, y'all got lazy, and I kind of had to put the I had to put the feet to the fire. I had to put a little boot in that ass, as Toby Keith might say. Not that this is going to be an Oklahoma box score. Um, you were slacking on your submissions. I had to post something earlier this week. I got 13, 14 submissions. Um, so now my cup runneth over. I'm going to sort a few of those out. We're going to use those throughout the season. I don't know, um, Bill, I know we've talked about this before, but um, we are maybe going to use box scores as they happen in the 2016 season. We may wait a week or two so that we can build some up. How about that? Right. Yeah, yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to play that by ear. The problem, again, as we said on the last episode, is that Bill may be able to spot that right off the bat, only because he, you're working oh, right. directly it would change the purpose from a have me guess it to let's just talk about you interesting box scores. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's so. right. And who knows, you know, you may not have an interesting box score week to week or a truly dynamic one. So, uh, not worried all right, Bill, um, we're going to, um, if there's a theme here, it's just funny, funny, strange games in general. Um, I kind of picked this one on the fly, so hopefully it works. Uh, okay. So submission has a team A and team B, which is what you prefer, right? Cause your colors were breaking your world. <laughs> yeah um all right I'm, I'm, I'm gonna automatically assume oklahoma's involved now but anyway go ahead okay so we're gonna fly through this because i have to go do a job all right team a and team b team a had 21 first downs team b had 27 team a was four of 16 on third down and two of four on fourth down team b was four of 18 on third down four of 18 they sucked four of 18 on th- a third down and three of four on fourth down um team a had 419 total yards Team B had 545 total yards. Team A was 233 yards passing. Team B had 371 yards passing, but they were 4 of 8 in third down. Um, 
Team A was 20 of 35 passing. Uh, that's 6.7 yards per pass and no picks thrown. Team B was 30 of 47 passing for 7.9 yards a pass. They had one interception thrown. Um, team A rushed for 186 yards, 48 attempts, so that's 3.9 yards a carry. Team B rushed for 174 yards, that's 47 attempts, so that was 3.7 yards a carry, so almost the same. Uh, team A was penalized five times for 24 yards. Team B was penalized eight times for 83 yards. Uh, they each had a turnover, as we already mentioned. And then Team A's time of possession was 24-18. Team B held the ball for 35 minutes and 42 seconds. Bill, this is kind of a strange one. What can you tell me happened in this game? Yeah, this was pretty even overall, obviously. Um, yeah. Th- just in terms of like yards per play, it looks like uh, Team B had, had, the, had Team A by a little bit in that regard. But the biggest difference here is that Team A had 83 snaps in 24 minutes. Um, another reason, I guess, to assume Oklahoma or the Big 12 is involved. Um, but that's that's, right. a, that's a crazy case. First guess, case, the, right? big, the, the Big 12 is involved. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's clearly, that that's an absurd pace right there. And then on the other side, what, 90, 94 snaps in 35 minutes. That's still pretty fast. Uh, but the key there, obviously, is that one team was possibly either uh, – well, holding onto the ball for a longer period of time. They had more for, they had more snaps. They had more first downs. They had 11 m- minutes more on the ball. Um, that that may, this almost is like a I'm not going to say K State because they threw for a lot of yards, but um, yeah, this feels like a, a ball control versus an a absolutely ridiculous uh, tempo team. So uh, the difference is then. Uh, team B did average more yards per pass, which is a little bit surprising considering they held the ball that long. Um, they were dreadful on third down, which is surprising considering they held the ball that long. Uh, I'm guessing this game had a, a ridiculous number of possessions, uh, and therefore probably a ridiculous number of points. And, uh, the only other observation I can see here is that the team B had more penalties and they had more costly penalties. They averaged over 10 yards of penalty. Whereas team a was like procedure stuff. Apparently it was five for 24. So false starts and offsides and whatnot. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. I guess that means team, team B had the better shot of winning this game just because they did hold the ball longer and they had more, they averaged slightly more yards per play. So you think uh, team B won the game? I guess, but I mean, I, I would be very surprised if this wasn't a, a massive shootout. Okay. All right. Massive shootout. Big 12. Team B wins the game. Anything else? <laughs> that pretty much covers it. The, the volatility there w- was there for both teams, especially Team B, because of the bad third downs, because of the penalties. Um, but, yeah. Dateline, January 3rd, 2016, year of our Lord. San Antonio, Texas, thrust into the starting role in place of the suspended star quarterback. TCU's Bram Kohlhausen made the absolute most of his final chance with the Horned Frogs in historic fashion. Uh, starting in place of Trayvon, Boy- Tra- uh, Trayvon Boykin, who was suspended after a bar fight, uh, Kohlhausen led the number 11 Horned Frogs back from a 31-point deficit for the 47-41 triple overtime victory over number 15 Oregon on Saturday night in the Alamo Bowl. I was worried that you would just sort of see this. Well, that game is so impossible to look at from a full game perspective because it was two halves. It was so blatantly two halves that I kind of, I don't remember what the full game stats were like. Which one was Team B? You were right. Team B was TCU. Okay, yeah. Uh, And see, that's, 
you know, that it didn't, there wasn't a giveaway that there was a huge comeback because team B, they were still 50, 50 run pass. Uh, team A was like 60, 40 or so run pass. Um, so yeah, I mean, there wasn't a giveaway that there was a huge comeback involved. It really was that TCU's offense was bad in the first half and Oregon's offense was bad in the second. So you mentioned obviously a tale of two halves, as we say in the cliche book, but, uh, that's actually why it was submitted. So Matt DeVore writes in, um, don't know if this is really good or really bad as a submission, but it was definitely an interesting game. As a box score, it's really impossible to discern Oregon's collapse, and I'm curious to find out if Bill C's genius can somehow discern the flow of the game. No, what? nothing that. Uh, no, I, I don't know if it's possible to discern the flow of the game from, from the metrics that we hand out. I don't know. Is there one stat that would help that? I don't well, know I mean, like, I, like I've used before, like if one team is running quite a bit and one team is passing quite a bit, that could be style, but it could also be a sign that that one team was trying to kill the clock while the other was trying to come back. So that's kind of that's yeah. kind of a clue there. But like I said, I mean, fifty fifty means you were passing a decent amount, but it was still fifty fifty. It wasn't like the you know team B. You you know if you're coming back from thirty one points down, you might end up with like sixty something passes. They didn't. Um, right. So yeah, this one was. This one was really not – TCU's comeback was so controlled. They didn't really change their offense all that much. They just found things that worked, and once they started to work against a pretty bad Oregon defense, they kept working. And, and right. Oregon's, Oregon's offense was, was stalling out so quickly that Oregon's defense started getting exhausted too. But Well, good job. I'm going to give you the win on that one. Um, I don't know if I deserve the, the win. That was a good one. There were, there you picked no the win. No, you, look, you picked the winner. You said it was. A, you said a Big Twelve team was involved, and I really think TC is the epitome of the Big Twelve team, right? Yeah. Um, and then what was your other de- third declaration? I've forgotten already. Just take the uh, W, damn it! Man, man, I, I, I struggle. I struggle to take the W. I, I, I feel like that was a. I think time. That was overtime. That was overtime right there. All right. Well, do you think that Matt? Do you think it was a good submission by Matt, or do you think it's something that just you couldn't possibly? Well, when you have a wild, crazy game like that, usually it does stand out in the box score. This one didn't at all. So that, that was kind of a nice um, – this doesn't look uh, at first glance like a wild and crazy comeback game. So good good on him for that. Pretty low amount of turnovers. Yeah. Two total. Yeah. Yeah. Normally with uh, – normally you, you would expect some sort of late game theatricality or early yeah, or something. Was, when one offense was struggling and then the other is mostly just because they were bombing out and going three and out a lot. And uh, yeah, so yeah. there weren't any dramatics. All right. I'm giving you the W shut up and take it. Um, Fine. what do we learn this week? We learned a lot. Um, we will have the end of the road. I'm like, I can just hear that synth music for boys to men starting in my head. If you could just put that in and in after effect. Okay. Uh-huh. You just, yeah. Okay. Sure, yeah. We come to the end of the road next week, Bill, your previews are over. That means we might actually see some football. Did you know, Bill, that technically next week we will preview a game that will be played? That's right. Because Cal, the California Golden Bears of the University of, of California at Berkeley are playing um, those Rainbow Warriors in Hawaii. And they're playing them where, Bill? Australia. Why, Bill? Nobody knows. It makes no sense. Um, so we'll actually talk about that football game. We will put a... Uh, we'll put the final chapter of Bill's rankings together. We'll also be able to talk about what we've been working on for the big college football preview, which is slated to hit Monday, yeah, if I make my deadlines. And um, yeah, Next week, at the very least. Yep. Um, so that'll allow me to talk about some time I spent with Charlie Strong at Texas 
and uh, we'll probably have more like actual real true blue football things. Hopefully no injuries to talk about, but everything else is good. Uh, Bill, you want to come back and do it again next week? Oh, before I leave, Bill is isolating a segment that we did on the show. Um, it's basically all the different efforts in which podcast in play nobody is going to try and help the people of Baton Rouge and uh, the, the just awful amount of flooding that's gone on there. So uh, don't delete that, you a-hole. Listen to it. Um, and, right. and hopefully hopefully throw 3 or $4 somebody's way to help out. So, um, uh, Bill, do you want to come back and do this next week? I guess. Okay.